This is Capitalize Your Finances, the show representing you, a select group of excited, ready, and fired up listeners seeking to potentially maximize your money moves and get after it. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek the logical way of likely creating advantages to potentially maximize wealth for your personal and unique situations. This show brings you the step-by-step framework to capitalize your finances in all aspects of your financial situation. And we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions. We are capitalizers and this is our show. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Finances. As always, I am your host, Christopher A. Paniotu, the Capping Capitalize, and now is the time to learn how to drop kick debt when need be and figure out when to hold on to debt for dear life. Never thought I'd say that, did you? Before we dive into the details, if you are new to the podcast and new to becoming a capitalizer, I would strongly recommend to go back to my first episode in the series, What Is Your Purpose? As I want you to be as caught up as possible. With that being said, now that we know what debt actually is, let's now look into the good debts, the bad debts, and what the heck to do about them. For starters, let's look into different debt types that are out there as there are many different ways to take on debt, and usually this is not for the better. There are, however, strategic ways to utilize debts. Let's make it easy and actually title these debts between good and bad debts. I know this may sound a little brutal for some to hear, but capitalizing your debts is not supposed to be all sunshine and rainbows. One of the most common good debts would be a mortgage. The majority of people out there do not have hundreds of thousands of dollars to put down on a home. So taking out a mortgage is essentially their only other option. People have asked me how many people out there have the cash to buy a home. And this answer is particularly difficult to find as home values vary dramatically. So to narrow it down, I wanted to find, just for the purpose of this question, to see who could buy a home for $284,600, which was the median household price for all home types in March of 2020, according to the National Association of Realtors. Fortunately, if you feel as though that is out of reach and you're scratching your head trying to figure out where the heck am I going to find this cash, you are not alone. In fact, It's not even close. According to data collected by the Federal Reserve in 2019, the top, top earners in the 90 to 100% range, meaning the major earners that we are striving to become, maybe, have an average of $229,400 in cash. For those of you that are not mathematicians out there, that is short $55,200. What's the conclusion? You aren't alone in the being short for a cash home purchase arena. The great news is that's okay. Let's consider a mortgage a good debt. All things being equal, 
if you live in the home until and past the mortgage completion, you free up all of that cash flow in monthly payments that you are no longer having to pay. Considering the fact that people, mortgage payments are the largest monthly expense that is a great debt to have, as someday once that is paid off, you are mortgage free plus your home has hopefully gone up in value. So you have built up ownership. Nice. Before we go on to further good debts, it is worth mentioning how much one's mortgage should be. Now, as a general guideline for both the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards, as well as practically speaking, try to aim to have your mortgage payment to be at or below 28% of your pre-tax monthly income. So, for example, if you are making $48,000 a year or $4,000 a month, let's keep the math easy here, you would want to aim to have your mortgage payment at or below $1,120 a month. Now, I will tell you that you will probably be approved for more than that, but just like anything in life, just because you are offered more, that does not mean you are better off for taking it. Since we are here, I might as well throw it out there. As a general rule of total debt, strive to have that number be at or below 40% of your total pre-tax monthly income. Practically, all things being equal, less is more here. But I thought this would be appropriate in an opportune time to sprinkle that tidbit of information in before moving on. Another debt I would consider to be a positive is your education. Now, a couple points, however, and I could get some pushback here. Before you take out a debt on education, ask yourself this, does this cost make sense? Let's throw in a couple examples. This one is obvious, heart surgeon. Uh, yeah, you're going to need to invest some serious time and money into that one. Highly unlikely anyone is going to want to go under the knife from a heart surgeon that learned how to quadruple bypass via YouTube an hour before operation slice and dice. Financially speaking, there is a cost benefit there as well, as the average heart surgeon earns a whopping $482,000 as of April 27, 2021, according to salary.com. Not bad. Let's take a look at another one, engineer. Anyone that knows an engineer knows that regardless of what specifics they get into, engineers have gone through rigorous study, super concentrated in specific technical tasks. Financially, year after year, engineers are the most sought after professionals out there. So generally speaking, if there is a high demand, you will get compensated for it. Last but not least, the trades. Not only is trade school a fraction of the cost as traditional college, it pays and it pays dang well. I was told long ago, if you wanna make money, you either have to do something too difficult or too gross for most people to pursue. 
I'm not here to rustle any feathers and discourage furthering education as I'm a huge proponent of that. But if you are choosing an industry where that education is not needed, why pay for it? Wouldn't it make more sense to dive into earning money versus burning through it for no reason? Maybe that's just me, but if you're going to go to school just to go to school, I guess the rate of return calculation was not on the forefront of your mind. One last general good debt I will list is for business owners and entrepreneurs, and that is a business loan or a line of credit. As much as go-getters might not want to admit, when it comes to starting a business, more often than not, we need help. But in the meantime, taking that business loan or line of credit out to get you going is perfectly acceptable. Eventually, that sucker is going to be paid off. Now, let's chat about those pesky bad debts. And fortunately, or unfortunately for you, you probably know what they are. Let's start with the extremely obvious one, credit card debt. Ah, uh, yes, the needle in everyday American sides. Apparently, this is not a tiny issue. According to a comprehensive study by valuepenguin.com, which took a deep dive into the Federal Reserve Survey of Consumer Finances, who drew the short straw for that eye-stabbing task, the average American family credit card debt is $6,270. What's more jaw-dropping is that the total credit card debt is approximately $807 billion. Ouch. There are a countless number of sub-reasons why this is so staggering. But the overarching theme here is that Americans have a spending problem. From a bad debt standpoint, here's where it gets downright disgusting. According to a wallethub.com report in January of 2021, the average interest rate on these credit card balances is, wait for it, 14.58%. Now, at first glance, this doesn't look all that bad, but remember, this is the average. With new balances coming into existence, the average is more like 17%. And I can tell you from professional experience that I've seen some rates as high as 27%. Major ouch! The next bad one can be a bit controversial as I see both sides here. But for the majority of people, the want items are no bueno. What do I mean by want items? Easy example, jewelry. Story time. When I went to purchase my lovely wife Stephanie's engagement ring, I knew the price that I could afford. Trust me, I did the math. A lot, a lot, a lot. I was immediately greeted by an amazing jeweler that walked me through the whole process of buying my better half's dream diamonds and simultaneously gouging my bank account. Anything for love, right? Our conversation was going wonderfully and then the financing. She gave me three options. First was a three-year payoff with a 29.99% interest rate attached to it. 
The fact that I would much rather opt into walking over broken glass barefoot and follow that up with immersing my feet in a tub of rubbing alcohol, I kindly asked her for the other two options. Option two was a two-year payoff with an 18.99% interest rate. At that point, I'd still prefer the walking over broken glass barefoot approach, but without the rubbing alcohol. Lastly, option three was a one-year 0% interest rate payoff. Sold. Had I went for the three-year, that would be a really bad debt. If the two-year was a selection, it'd still hurt really bad, but not as bad as numero uno. Since my selection gave me the ability to take the price of the ring and divide it by 12 without owing anything else, that is an absolute winner. Other common wants are the new furniture, new kitchen, new washing machine, basically anything new that you probably don't need, but you really, really want. To keep things simple, make sure you pay your required monthly payments on those good debts. For those nasty ones, we'd obviously want those gone pronto. Notice how I do not care about the balance of the debt owed. It is all about the interest rate. Think about it this way. Whatever that interest rate is, that is the rate of return you are earning to pay those debts off. And with that frustrating stopping point, I'm going to conclude this episode of how to capitalize your debt. In the next episode, strategizing your debt stack, I am going to take you through how to eliminate these debts at a rate that will strive to earn you as much on your money in the long run as humanly possible. I'm going to take you through the guideline of what number to look for, why this is not a one-size-fits-all, and the possibility of refinancing if makes sense. And for those of you that do not know what refinancing is, introducing you to it. Thank you for listening into Capitalize Your Finances. I have all the faith in the world that you can conquer this mountain of debt. And after next episode, you will have all the tools. Capitalizing your finances does not need to be impossible. And as promised, I'm coming through all the fluff to get you to the promised lands of capitalization. Keep tuning in, keep crushing it. And as always, I'm your host, Christopher A. Paniotu, The Cap and Capitalize. Take care. The information provided should not be considered specific tax, legal, or investment advice, and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances. To the extent that this material concerns tax matters, it is not intended or written to be used and cannot be used by a taxpayer for the purpose of avoiding penalties that may be imposed by law. Each taxpayer should seek independent advice from a tax professional based on his or her individual circumstances. Different types of investments and or investment strategies involve varying levels of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment or investment strategy, including the investments purchased and or investment strategies devised by Lucia Capital Group, will be 
either suitable or profitable for a client's or prospective client's portfolio. Thus, investments may result in the loss of principal. Accordingly, no client or prospective client should assume that the presentation or any component thereof serves as the receipt of or a substitute for personalized advice from Lucia Capital Group or from any other investment professional. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. This material was gathered from sources believed to be reliable. However, its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. These materials are provided for general information and educational purposes based upon publicly available information from sources believed to be reliable. We cannot assure the accuracy or completeness of these materials. The information in these materials may change at any time and without notice. Examples cited or hypothetical are for illustrative purposes only, are not guaranteed, and subject to potential federal and state law amendments. There is no guarantee that you will achieve the results discussed or illustrated. The views and opinions expressed in this presentation do not necessarily reflect those of Lucia Capital Group or its affiliates. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Lucia Capital Group, a separate entity from LPL Financial.